Well, Father, we, uh, you are more than enough. And we confess that sometimes we think we need more. Um, we think we need other things to fill the gap, to fill the void that we sometimes feel. But I just pray that you would uh, remind us this morning that you have everything we need. You are everything we need. You are more than enough. And as we talk about this issue of passion this morning, I pray that you would redefine what passion really is. That you would redirect where our passions lie. What we're passionate about. And that our passions would be a reflection of a holy God. So, Father, again, as we talk about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a man made in the image of God, would you open our hearts, open our eyes, help us to see clearly that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the greatest reflection of you. He is the the image of you as a man. And, Father, we want to reflect that in our own lives. So take this time, use it. Help us to put everything else aside for the next few minutes and concentrate on what you have to say to us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the issue of passion. Um, What what kind of things are you guys passionate about? You know, some of us are passionate about sports. Some of us are passionate about work. Some of us are passionate about our families. I think if you sat down and talked to Mark for very long, you'd find out he is definitely passionate about this ministry, Impact Ministries. He, he's got a passion for it. But what, what are you passionate about? The truth is every man in this room is passionate about something. And interesting thing about passion is, as I've thought about it, is the word passion for many of us is tied to um, sexual pleasure. I don't know what it is about us as men, but we, when we think of passion, it almost comes out that way, that it's, it has something to do with sex. But I hope this morning to change that view and to open the definition up a little bit about what true passion really is and how we need to have passion in our lives. You know, as uh, somebody sent me a, a video, and we're going to look at it in just a second, but there are all kinds of people who are all kinds of passionate about all kinds of things. And um, you can be passionate, about, again, about sports. You can be passionate about the environment. And somebody sent me a, a YouTube video, and uh, it really just cracked me up. So I'm going to share it with you. This is misplaced passion. Check this out. Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails the violation of American nature. I want to mourn the of all the old growth trees I've seen and tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die that there are some people here who do care so I want you to know that trees 
I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are deeply craving answers. I think that we've lost our identity as we have evolved into technology and into industrialized society. Bring me to this cathedral. Bring me to those guys. Bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life. That makes me feel alive. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. Hey, if, if you're an environmentalist, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to make fun of you, but that is, that's extremely misplaced passion. Let me, let me just read some of the comments. I want to mourn the loss of the old growth trees. I want to tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die. I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are craving answers. That's the only statement in this little video that I agree with. I think we've lost our identity. I agree with that. And then she says, bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life that makes me feel alive. Now, is there any question that these people are passionate? No, they're, they're passionate. But are they passionate about the right things? Now, I'm, I'm all for the environment. I, I think as God's viceroys, we're, we're responsible for the environment. But that's a misplaced passion. See, they're not crying over... Children dying in villages because of the lack of drinking water. They're not crying over the fact that people are dying left and right, lost in their sins, doomed to spend eternity in hell. They're crying over the loss of trees. Uh, but man, look at their passion. You would have to hold a gun to my head to get me to go out and spend an afternoon with these people. <laughs> but they are passionate about what they're doing. That's passion. But I, I just want to present to you that I think that's misplaced passion. Misplaced passion. So we want to talk about another kind of passion. We're going to talk about the passion of Jesus. You know that we're, what we're doing over these weeks is we're looking at what it means to be a biblical man, a godly man, and we're looking at the example of Jesus Christ because he is the greatest man that ever lived. He is the God-man. And so he is our model. He's the one we look to. And, and we, we talk about... The issue of the passion of Jesus, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase? For most of us, it's probably the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie that came out a number of years ago. Uh, we think of Jesus suffering on the cross. We think of that aspect of Jesus' life. But long before Jesus suffered, he had passion. See, it's not just the passion, the suffering that took place on the cross and on the way to the cross. It's it's, it's greater than that. It goes back further than that. His suffering was a result of his passion. In other words, the reason he hung on that cross was because he had a passion for something. He had something burning within him that led him to go all the way to the cross. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he was willing to die. He was willing to suffer for you and I. He had a passion it was a cause worth dying for. And what many of us lack as men, and especially as Christian men, is a cause worth dying for. These people, I think, would die for what they believe. They would literally chain themselves to a tree and die for that tree. 
would I die for another human being? Would I sacrifice my time to go over to Honduras and, and take a week of my life when I could be doing a hundred other things and serve people I don't even know and whose language I don't understand and who I will probably never meet again in my life to give them clean drinking water and share the love of Christ? What are you passionate about? See, Jesus had passion. What about you and me? We have passions. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. But do we have the right passions? Do we have misplaced passions? I love this from Larry Crabb. He says, the, the core problem is not that we are too passionate about bad things. See, we could easily go there. I could sit here and slam you all morning and talk about all your misplaced passions. It's that we are not passionate enough about the good things. The good things. Well, who gets to determine what the good things are? Is it me? No. It's our Heavenly Father. It's the example of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that this morning. This is from Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zizendorf. I know you've all read him before. He says, I have, I don't even know who this guy is, but I just love what he said. He said, I have but one passion. It is he and he only. Man, who, who in this room could say that? I have but one passion, and it's him, and him only. Now, I don't know Ludwig, but I, I, just, I just hope and, and believe that he meant what he said. And I would love for every one of us in this room to be able to say that. I have but one, one burning passion, one thing that gets my blood boiling, one thing that really gets me pumped, and it's him. And when you get that passion, then you're going to share his passions, and we'll see what those are in just a second. Well, what was Jesus passionate about? What really got him going in the morning? What really got him jazzed? Uh, and again, keep in mind, Jesus was 100% human. 100% just like you and I. Chromosomes, testosterone. He, he had everything we have. He was human. He was 100% God, but he was 100% human. What got him going in the morning? You know, I talked to several guys this morning and, you know, we're, we're all kind of sleepy and tired and we're dragging in. And, and, you know, Jesus got tired. Do you know there was probably mornings he woke up and went, you know, that rock just didn't cut it last night. That, that ground I slept on, man, my back hurts. Do you know Jesus' back probably hurt in the morning? Do you know Jesus probably got a crick in his neck from sleeping on the wrong place in the wrong time of the night and didn't? Jesus prayed through the night and he woke up. Do you think he just was miraculously not tired? Jesus was human, but what got him going in the morning, even after a whole night of sleep? What, what jazzed him? What really got him passionate? Well, first, let's define this. Passion. It's a powerful emotion, just like we saw in the video. It's boundless enthusiasm. It's what you see at a, at a football game, when people will paint themselves all kinds of colors and grown men will take their shirt off and paint letters on their chest when they should never have their shirt off in a crowd. Um, that is passion, boundless enthusiasm. It's making a fool of yourself. You know, it's, it's like when you, when you go to any kind of a game where your kid is involved, disconnect yourself one time and go to a game that your kid's not involved in and just watch the parents. It's just, it, you see misplaced passion. You see parents making fools of themselves on behalf of their children. That's what this is. It's passion. This is a little bit longer definition, but it's a state of mind when it is powerfully acted upon and influenced by something external to itself, something out there that affects us. 
the state of any particular faculty which under such emotion conditions becomes extremely sensitive and uncontrollably excited. Something gets us going. It could be a, a, a score at the end of the game to put your team ahead. It could be the other team scoring and putting them ahead, and you just, you're overcome with the emotion. You're disappointed. You're angry. It's something that impacts us somehow. Many of you may have watched the short little PowerPoint presentation and thought, you know, man, seeing children and hearing about people suffering like that really gets me. It just something in you it tugs at. Some of you look at it and go, oh, that's great. It, it didn't do anything for you. But there is something that impacts every one of us, that reaches into us. You know, the original word, and the reason it's called the passion of the Christ, it comes from the Latin, and the original word means to suffer. That's why it's referred to as the suffering of the Christ or the passion of the Christ. It's a suffering or enduring of imposed or inflicted pain, any suffering or distress. Okay? And here's, here's, here's where that's going to come in. We've defined passion to be all about what brings us pleasure. You know, watching a football game, playing golf, whatever it may be, if it brings me pleasure, that's my passion. I like doing that. I don't like to do certain things, so I just avoid them. And I don't have a passion about them. You know, my, my 14-year-old son does not have a passion for Latin, but he has to take it in school. He has a passion for the Xbox. Which one do you think he wants to spend the most time doing? Which one do you think we, we spend the most time berating him to not do and the other one to do? One brings him pleasure. The one brings him agony. It brings him suffering. It's Latin. See, it's not all about pleasure. It's not just what brings us pleasure. As I said earlier, it, we've tied it to sexual desire. We've tied it to lust. Um, that brings me pleasure. That makes me feel good. That, that brings me that kind of pleasure that I want to continue to do. See, it's interesting that the original word means suffering, to suffer. And I think what we're going to find out is that when you get a passion for something, you're willing to suffer for it. You're willing to go through extreme suffering for it. It's a, it's a desire so strong that you're willing to suffer because of it and for it. Take your afternoon and go strap yourself to a tree. Um, that, those people are going to suffer for what they believe in. It, it's what is driving much of the, the radical Islamic movement. It's a passion for something that they're willing to strap bombs to themselves and die for a cause that they believe in. That's, that's passion. It's not just, that makes me feel good. I'm willing to suffer for it. So if I find out there's a need across the world that somebody is suffering and somebody's without clean drinking water or somebody doesn't know the gospel, I'm willing to suffer in order for that need to be met. To suffer. See, it's a different kind of definition than we're used to. It's living for a cause that's greater than you. And see, many of us as men, what we live for is us. We're narcissistic. It's all about us. What brings me pleasure? What makes me happy? And if that doesn't make me happy, I avoid it. But see, passion, the kind of passion Jesus had was, it's a cause greater than myself. That's why Jesus Christ was willing to give and give and give to the point of death. It was greater than him. It's being willing to die for something more important than yourself. 
Being willing to die for something. Can you think of one thing in your life you're willing to die for? Now, some of you who are married will say, well, I'd die for my wife. I've often loved the phrase that says, but are you willing to live for your wife? Some of us would die for him, but we aren't willing to live for him. We're not willing to give daily and die daily just of our rights. What are you willing to die for? We're going we're gonna to take the next few minutes and we're going to look at five different things that I think Jesus was passionate about. Are they the only things Jesus was passionate about? No. But I've, I've narrowed it down to five that we can look at this morning. And so the, the first one we're going to look at, and it comes out of these passages you, you just read together, is Jesus had a passion for the lost. Jesus had a passion for the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Any one of us could say that. I'm the worst. Uh, he came into the world. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. See, he had a passion for the lost. What did it take to get Jesus Christ to leave heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, take on human flesh, be born as a helpless infant, live as a human being with all the limitations that come with it? What, what could make him do that? What kind of passion did it take? It was a passion for the lost. Do you have a passion for the lost? Mark 2.17 says, Jesus' own words, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He came to save sinners. He came to save the lost. He has a passion for the lost. It says he came to seek and to save. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what got him to leave heaven to come to earth, to seek and to save that which was lost. What Adam screwed up, Jesus Christ came to redeem and restore and correct. So he came to redeem. He came to forgive. And he also came to rescue. Where do we get that from? All in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. It says, he, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ did all three of those things. Those were his passion. He was driven by those things to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness, to bring rescue to people who could not rescue themselves. See, he's passionate about that. It's a passion of his to come to the lost. He came to restore. He came to restore. Now, all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, he shares this with us. If you, if you look at... You don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We should be and are being transformed into His very image so that we, we share this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God, just as He did. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. His passage, his passion was reconciliation, the lost, redeeming the lost. Do you share that passion? Well, secondly, Jesus had a passion for his father's will. It's really clear from scripture that he was all about his father's will from the, the moment he was 12 years old to the moment he hung on that cross and died. 
Jesus says, my food. Remember that little story when Jesus, the disciples come to him and they, they're going off to get food and they come back and they offer him food and he, he kind of turns them down and they're like, well, gosh, where did he get food? And Jesus says, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was so passionate about his father's will that it meant more to him than, than eating. There's not a whole thing, a lot of things in life that mean more to me than eating. Um, but, you know, Jesus didn't need to eat. He'd rather do his father's will than eat. He was passionate about doing his father's will. He's in uh, John 5.30 says, I can do nothing, Jesus says. I can do nothing on my own initiative. That's pretty amazing when you think of Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. But he says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Whose will do you seek? Whose will do you want to perform? If you're like me, it's probably yours. But Jesus was all about his Father's will. It was his passion. He says, I have brought you glory. This is in his great priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He prays to the Father. He says, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's all, that's all I'm about. Just so happened his Father's will was what? Reconciling the world to himself. Redeeming the lost. It was his passion. It was his father's will. They both went hand in hand. He was passionate about that. So in doing that, he was perfectly obedient. This is what my father told me to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I did. I did it completely. I did it to the end. He was entirely submissive. If any of you have children, none of you have children who are completely submissive, do you? They all have a will. And usually it goes against yours. And what you want them to do, they don't want to do. The timing you have is not their timing. I want you to do this now. Take out the trash. Yeah, I'll do it. An hour later, you're still looking at the trash. I want you to clean your room. Sure, Dad, I'll clean, your, clean my room. Yeah, but I want you to do it now. Well, I don't want to do it now. See, we all have a will. Jesus was completely obedient. And he was completely submissive to his Father's will. Jesus didn't wake up one morning and go, you know, today's not a good day. I don't really want to heal today. I really don't want to preach today. And I really don't want to be around these stupid disciples today. I've had it up to here with these disciples. No, Jesus did his Father's will completely and submissively and selflessly. See, if you're going to do the Father's will, self has to be taken out of the picture. And Jesus was all about his Father's will. He had a passion for it. He was obedient. He was submissive. He was selfless. Third, Jesus had a passion for the oppressed and suffering. I think it's real timely that Mark came and shared this morning about Impact Ministries. Because Jesus had a passion for the oppressed and the suffering. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, go back and report to John what you see in here. John the Baptist is in prison. He's wondering what in the world has happened here. Why am I sitting in prison? And I've been talking about the Son of God coming, and here he is, and I thought it was him. Maybe it's not him. And so Jesus sends his disciples back and says, Tell John this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. What was Jesus doing? He was meeting the needs of the oppressed, the poor, the downtrodden, the hurting. See, he didn't come to preach to the righteous he came to minister to the sick to the sinners to the oppressed 
Luke 4 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was His passion. That's what He got up in the morning passionate about. It wasn't a matter of just going to work to make money. It was to go out and impact the world for the cause of His Father. That's what He was about. It was His passion. So He came to bring relief from suffering due to sin. See, everything he, he dealt with, whether it was leprosy, whether it was blindness, lameness, all of that's the result of sin, isn't it? It's a result of the fall. And he came to relieve that. He came to relieve suffering due to sin, but ultimately spiritual suffering due to sin. He came to bring release from captivity, from sin's control. That was ultimately what he wanted. He would heal people. And what would he usually say? He said, go and sin no more. The healing was great. But if you're going to continue to live in your sins, you've really not received anything. He wanted to bring release. Do you want to bring release to those who are still captive to sin? All around this world, all around this community who are living in sin and can't do anything about it. He came to bring recovery of our spiritual sight. There are people all over this community, many of them you work with, live next door to, have friendships with, and they are completely blind to the truth. The enemy has blinded their eyes, and they need to have their eyes open, and that's what he's called us to do. Do you have a passion for that? Or can you walk by them day after day after day and not really care? See, if we're going to be transformed into the image of Christ, into the image of God the Father, if we're created in His image, we should be developing these kinds of passions. Finally, He came to restore mankind to new life. New life. Again, there are all kinds of people all around us suffering. You know, one of the things that an impact ministry does is it goes and it meets a physical need, which gives you an opportunity to meet a spiritual need. But if you don't go in and give them clean drinking water... And you want to go share Christ, they're just going to stare at you and go, well, you don't even love me. You don't even care about me. So you've got to do both. And, and the church has been negligent of that over the, the last probably hundred years, that we haven't done a good job of meeting people's physical needs and spiritual needs. So this is what he was about. This is what he's passionate about. Fourthly, he had a passion for the Word of God. Here's Jesus, the Son of God. Part of the Trinity, but he had a passion for the Word of God. Jesus in chapter 4 of Matthew says, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. This is part of that temptation process. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did he throw back at the enemy? The Scriptures. The Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He used the Word of God. He tells in the parable of the, of the seeds or the soils. It says, this is the meaning of the parable, he tells the disciples. The seed is the word of God, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. He knew the value of the word of God, the life-transforming power of the word of God. John chapter 3 says, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, no one, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it is certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Jesus came speaking the words of God. He was addicted to the words of God. He was faithful to the words of God. He was passionate about the word of God. He lived according to the word. 
See, if he didn't live according to the word and keep the whole law perfectly, then he's not a perfect sin substitute. But he knew the law, he knew the word, and he kept it verbatim to the T every minute of his life. He, he lived according to it. He was nourished by it. I think many of those times when he went away in the, the wilderness to be alone, when he prayed through the night, I think he was ministered to by the Word, the Old Testament, the Psalms. He was nourished by it, and he knew the life-giving power of it. He knew what it could do to change the lives of men and women. He was passionate about the Word of God, and he was faithful to keep the Word of God. How about you? Are you passionate about the Word, or does it just kind of bore you to tears? Um, is, is Wednesday morning your, your midweek fix? This is where I get my study, and the rest of the week you kind of just sit there and coast? Or do you wake up in the morning and you're passionate about the Word? Do you want to keep the Word? Do you want to know more of it? Do you live according to it? See, Jesus was passionate about it. And finally, he had a passion for prayer. This has always amazed me about Jesus. That the Son of God would have to pray. See, prayer for me in most of my life has been all about weakness. It's all about, you know, gosh, I just, I, I need, I need, I need. Gimme, 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 gimme. You know, my prayer list. Lord, gimme this. Lord, fix this. Lord, take this away. Lord, strike this person dead. Lord, you know, it, that's been my prayer life. And what's left out of that is just communion, community, fellowship. You know, it'd be like if all I wanted from my wife is, I, I just want her to give. Just give me, give me, give me, give me. When are we going to eat? When are we going to have sex? When are you going to rub my back? When are you going to do this? When are you going to mow the yard? When are you going to... What kind of relationship is that? It's not a relationship. But see, that's what we do with, with God. That's what we do with our prayer life. It's all about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. What are you going to do for me, God? And we really couldn't care less about building a relationship. But when you look at the prayer life of Jesus, it's completely different. Look at Matthew 14. This is just a, a small glimpse of his prayer life. He sends the crowds away. He goes up into a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. See, he got alone. He got alone and he just spent time with his father. And can you imagine what it must have been like to be the son of God, 100% divine, 100% human, and having to put up with what he put up with. And there are times he just had to get away and just, I would love to have heard those conversations. And John chapter 17 is one of those we get to see a glimpse of. But I would love to have heard the conversations he and the Lord had. I, I just have to think Jesus some days went, Father, I know you're going to work through these disciples, but I'm really questioning whether this is really the right way. Are these guys really going to carry this off? Are they really going to pull this off? I think he was honest with his father. I think he talked about his day. I think he talked about what went on. And he just shared. He was alone. He got, got alone with the father. Matthew 26 says, Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He prayed. He prayed at key moments of his life. He prayed when he was suffering. He prayed prior to making major decisions, choosing his disciples. He prayed. He prayed all night. He prayed regularly. Why? Because he had need? He's the son of God. He prayed because he wanted communion with his father. He wanted relationship. Luke 5, 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he just prayed. He prayed. 
He had a passion for prayer. I think he wanted to be alone with the Father more than anything else. What was the greatest point of suffering on the cross for Jesus Christ? Was it the nails? Was it the thorn? Was it the spear in the side? It was that moment when he was separated from his Father for the first time and the only time. That was the greatest moment of suffering for Jesus Christ, separation from the Father. See, for me, I almost rejoice when prayer time's over. And I got that done. That hurt. And I go on my merry way and I do what I want to do and I don't miss the moment that I just had. But see, for Jesus, I think the end of those all-night prayer times were the most trying times for him because he had to walk away from that fellowship. He was passionate about prayer. He loved talking to his father. Do you love talking to your father? Do you love talking to, to God? I have to admit, there are often times I don't. He was dependent on hearing from his father. He wanted to hear what his father said. He wanted to talk with him, hear his voice, be ministered to by him. He prayed for direction. You know, he was, we're going to talk about this later, but Jesus had the Holy Spirit within him, which is kind of odd to think about. But he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But he also prayed for for direction from the Father. He prayed for empowerment. I think Jesus oftentimes would say, yeah, give me strength. Give me your presence. Give me your power. He prayed for fellowship. He just wanted to be with his Father. And after a steady diet of disciples all day, it was probably a real relief just to get alone and just be with the Father. And talk on a whole new level, a whole different dimension. Passion, guys, is a powerful thing. We all know that. We laughed at the video that we started out with. These people are passionate. But it's powerful in their lives. Every one of you has a passion. And it has a powerful pull on your lives. And I want to go back to this quote by Larry Crabb. The core problem is not the issue of your passion about bad things. It could be. Some of us are. It's that we're not passionate enough about good things, the right things, the things Jesus is passionate about. I'm not asking you to give up golf. I'm not asking you to give up your hobbies. I'm not asking you to not be passionate about your work and not be passionate about your family. I'm not asking you to give up those things. I'm just asking you to consider that maybe some of your passions are misdirected, are misplaced. They're in the wrong slot in terms of priority. You know, another word for passion in our culture is ambition. Ambition is an interesting thing, and it's really what passion is all about. Jesus Christ was ambitious. He was ambitious, but about the right things. Ambition is interesting. Here's a great definition. Ambition is sustained drive. Jesus had it. It's what kept him going. It springs from an intense desire. Jesus had that. It's a single-minded craving for something. What was it? The lost, doing his Father's will, the Word of God. It combines perseverance over time to cause movement in a particular direction. This is Jesus to a T. See, this is, this is ambition from a worldly perspective, but it has a godly element to it. It has a spiritual element to it. See, ambition's neutral. It can be good. It can be bad. You can have bad ambition. It can drive one person to, to meet really aggressive sales goals and really achieve, it can drive another person to commit crimes. The wrong kind of ambition. It's a neutral thing. 
you know, we use phrases like, my goal is to X. I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 32. I want to be president of the company by the time I'm 40. I want to retire by the time I'm 25. You know, we have all kinds of goals. When I grow up, I want to, and some of us are still saying that. When I grow up, I still want to do this, this, and this. I've been considering doing X. Ambitions, goals, desires. Ambition is what gets you from there to here, or from here to there. How are you going to reach that goal? How are you going to achieve your passion? It's the passion that drives our behavior and determines our lifestyle choices. Passion and purpose go hand in hand, guys. What's your purpose? We talked about that in a whole other study. Why are you here? Why did Jesus Christ die for you? Is it so you can be happy? Is it so you can live in a nice home? Is it so you can drive nice cars? Nothing wrong with any of those things. But what's your real purpose? What's your passion? What's your passion? Here's the question I want to close with. Is your passion motivated by self or is it motivated by God? The passion of Christ. Do you share it? Do you have it? Let's close with prayer. And here's what I want you to do just for the next minute. Take just a second. I want you to think about what is it that you're passionate about this morning? What is it you're passionate about? Be honest. Be brutally honest with the Lord. What are you passionate about? Does it line up with the passions of Jesus? Are you passionate about the lost? Are you passionate about the will of God, the word of God, the oppressed and suffering around the world? Are you passionate about prayer? If not, what I want you to do right now is just ask the Father to give you the passions of Christ. To pour into you the passions that Jesus had. Do you dare ask for that? Because if you do, he's going to give it to you. And that's a scary thing. Take just a second to do that. Well, Father, we come to you this morning, and we are inherently, because we are created, created in the image of God, men of passion. You created us to have passion. That's why we get excited about things. That's why we get excited about sports. That's why we get excited about our work, about accomplishments, about achievements. But, Father, you came to redeem our passions, not just our souls. Your son came to take those passions and redirect them to the right things, to where your heart beats fast. And I'm convinced, Father, that if you just took this group of men in this room this morning and you realigned our passions, we would be shocked at what we could accomplish You want to work through us. I don't understand that, but you want to work through us. You want us to share your passions, and you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect example of what a man looks like when he shares the passions of God. Give us, give me a passion for the lost. 
Give me a passion for your will that I would rather do your will than anything else, and your will would mean more than, to me than my own. Give me a passion for your word that I would rather be in your word than watch TV or read the newspaper or get on the Internet. Give me a passion for your word. Give me a passion for the oppressed and the suffering all across this city, all across this world, physically suffering, spiritually suffering. Give me a passion that I can't walk past them and not want to do something about it. Give me a passion for prayer. Forgive me, Father, that I, I don't long to be with you. I don't want to talk with you very often unless I need something. Give me a passion to just be with you and talk with you. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you that they're here. I thank you that they want to know you. They want to serve you. They want to be men who reflect the image of God. Show us how to do that. Help us to die to self and allow the Holy Spirit to make it happen so that we can truly reflect the image of God to the world around us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.